This episode of Pick Up the Six podcast is in honor of Sergeant Stephen Deluzio, who on August 22, 2010, laid down his life for our nation while serving in Afghanistan. Sergeant Deluzio was 25 years old. And our guest today was just miles away from Stephen on that fateful day. His name is Scott Deluzio. He's Stephen's brother. And the two were called into arms after 9-11, and both were fighting in Afghanistan when Stephen made that ultimate sacrifice. Scott writes about that experience and more in his book, Surviving Son. He's also the host of the Drive On podcast, and he joins us on this episode of Pick Up the Six podcast. Scott, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Brian. I really appreciate the opportunity to come on your show and share my story with you and your audience. Man, the the pleasure is all on this side of the microphone uh, as we are in the month of May here, right? A few weeks away from Memorial Day. And we'll talk about your story, your brother's story, uh, and all of that, and and just why this time of year, it's probably got a little bit more meaning and emphasis for for you and your family. But take me back, man, to, to that time, right? We all remember that fateful Tuesday day, and there were thousands and thousands of men and women across our country who felt the call to then do something after that. So take me into the Deluzio family, right? In those moments, what happened for you yeah. guys? Yeah. So my brother and I, we grew up in a very patriotic family. Uh, just as kids, we were brought up to uh, look up to the military, to the first responders, the police, the firefighters, all of them with uh, look at them with respect. And yeah. we, we knew that the job that they were doing, they were literally putting their lives on the line for yeah. people like us. Yeah. And so we grew up with that ingrained in us. We knew that there were evils in the world, that there were bad things that happened in the world. You know, as, as kids, you don't know the nitty gritty specific details, but we knew that, you know, generally there's good guys, there's bad guys. And yeah. the guys in the uniforms, those are typically the good guys. And, and they go and protect us from the bad guys. Um, after 9-11, I was was in college when 9-11 took place. And my brother, Stephen, who you mentioned, my younger brother, he um, was in high school still. And I had considered dropping out of college right then and there and just joining the military uh, because I was like, there's just like so many other people. I was like, there's no way that this is going to go unpunished. And I want to be a part of it. but I slept on that decision. I, I, and I realized um, a little bit about myself uh, that if I was to drop out of college, there's no way I was going to go back and pick it back up. I, I, I figured, you know, if I, I only got a couple of years left of this, let, let me just stick it out. I'll, I'll finish college. I'll get my degree. And then if there's still a fight to be had, then mm-hmm. I'll, I'll think about it. And and odds are there was going to be, there was going to be. Yeah. But just based on the the way the news was reporting it, it was, Mm -hmm. it was like, this wasn't going to be a quick in and out, like a desert storm kind of thing. It was going to be. probably didn't anticipate 20 years, my brother, but yeah. No, but we, you know, we were expecting at least, you know, a few years going to be over there. So, so I figured, you know what, that's, that's fine. Um, I'll, I'll finish up my degree and then I'll, I'll reassess things afterwards. Um, after I got out of college, uh, I started working uh, at, at a, my first job out of college. Uh, kind of had put the military on the back burner, and I, I kind of forgot about it. Um, and it actually turns out my brother, my younger brother Stephen, he joined the military first. He was going up to uh, uh, going to college up in Vermont, and he met a guy up there who was in the National Guard. Uh, started talking to him about it, and he was like, "You know, this is for me." 
And so he decided to join the National Guard up there. And all of a sudden, like overnight, my little brother, the, the kid that I used to, you know, beat up in the backyard and, you know, all, all that kind of stuff growing up. Now he all of a sudden became one of these people who I was looking up to and respecting. And I was like, right. this transformation was just like mind blowing to me. Yeah. Um, and then um, a little while after he joined, I heard this report in the news that the military was struggling to meet their recruiting numbers. And that really got under my skin and it just fired me up. And I, I started thinking to myself, where are all these people from, you know, after 9-11 who were ready to move mountains to go fight against this, this enemy that we had uh, who attacked us. And then I, it dawned on me. I was like, well, I am one of those people. I wanted mm. to do something and mm. I still hadn't done anything about it. And so I figured, you know what, if, if my little brother can do it, then I, there's no way I'm going to let him one up me on this. So I, I'm certainly going to do it too. Mm. So, um, so we, we both joined, uh, the, the military, um, within about a year of each other. Uh, I think he joined first and I, in, I want to say October of mm -hmm. 2004 and I joined in November of 2005. So, uh, you know, just about a year or so apart from each other. Um, and yeah, so that's, that's really what got us into the military. Um, you know, but were, just, I mean, were there, were there parallels for you guys in, in the early journey? Cause we can easily fast forward to 2010 when you both are downrange in almost the same location, mere miles apart. But before that, what's the parallel path? Cause are you in the same unit? Are you in the same divisions? Like where are you guys at in that, in that timeline? Right. So when we first joined, uh, there really wasn't much connection between, uh, the units that we are in. Um, we were both infantry. So yeah, we both had army guys, right. Army and infantry, both national guard. Uh, but he was in the Vermont army national guard. Cause he was still going to school up there. And, uh, I was in the Connecticut army national guard. Cause that's okay. where we we're from. Okay. And, it just by some stroke of luck, I don't know how this happened. Uh, our, our units went under some reorganization uh, and our units fell under, uh, wound up falling under the same brigade. Hmm. And so when we deployed in 2010, the deployment was a brigade wide deployment. So all of us, uh, my brother, me, uh, our units all were deployed at the same time. So, um, so no, there really wasn't, intentionally a parallel path there. It, yeah. So it wasn't you guys like, weren't training together. You no. weren't really doing much together until that time where you deploy in the same, in the same time. Yeah. It, and, and, you know, we, when we deployed, uh, he deployed with his unit, the, the Vermont, uh, guard unit, and I deployed with the Connecticut guard unit and it was kind of staggered, you know, not, not yeah. everyone goes at the same time. So it was a little bit staggered. And when, uh, once when I left, the United States, uh, I didn't see him again until sure. after he was killed because, uh, we were also stationed at different bases, different locations. We were both in Eastern Afghanistan. So we were, uh, ge geographically close, but realistically it wasn't, it yeah. wouldn't have been probable for us to cross paths. Yeah. And you're not comms up texting each other <laughs> no. like in the middle, no, in the middle of all that. There really wasn't too many opportunities for us to be able to call or text or anything like that. The, the majority of the communication that we had between each other, uh, honestly, was uh, third party. Like when sure. he would call home to my parents, yep. they'd relay uh, a message to you. And yeah. they relayed and, and vice versa. And, yeah. and that's just really how we communicated was, was that way. So who, who instilled in you guys that deep respect 
for those in uniform, whether they were in the military, first responders, cops, firefighters, who, who in your family had worn the uniform, right? That doesn't just happen on accident. It's usually because somebody that came before you that, that showed you what service before self was all about. Yeah. So, uh, it, it got instilled in me through my parents and neither one of them served in the military or were in the police or fire service or anything like that. Um, the closest my father came to working for the, the fire service was when he was a, a kid, he, he was paid to clean some of the, the fire trucks, uh, you know, it, it was like a, a part-time job or whatever. Yeah. Um, but my, my grandfather, my dad's dad, uh, was in the, the Navy during world war two. Mm. And that was something that just st- stuck with my, my father, uh, you yeah. know, the stories that my grandfather would tell. Where was he? I, you, did you get a lot of those stories as a kid? Where, what was he doing? No, unfortunately he, he passed away before I got to really be of the age that I was really interested in that, that type of thing. Um, so, but I, I found out later on just through asking my, my father and, and other family members about him and where he served and everything. He was, he was in the Pacific. Uh, he, uh, was in the Philippines. He was at Iwo Jima. Uh, he was, uh, kind of all kind, over the kind the of Pacific ship was there. Do you know what kind of ship he was on? Um, I am drawing a blank on that right now. I'm just doing uh, some math here. So we had, you know, young Pat Jodis, my grandfather in the Pacific, saw Iwo Jima from a, a USS destroyer out in the Pacific. I'm like, where were these guys? <laughs> were they do, do you know the, do you know oh, the name of the, the ship? Yeah, the ship was the USS Terry. Okay. It, this was the USS Boyd. And I okay. forget the name or, or that's the name. I forget the type of ship that it was. Uh, sure. It, it may have been a destroyer as well. Um, they don't make them like but, those guys anymore, do they? No, no, they don't. So, um, so yeah, that's, uh, you know, that's where that, that patriotic, uh, yeah. you know, the, the pride in the, the military and the, the Boy, that was a destroyer country. as that's well. So I'm just, from. you know, I'm on the Google machine while we're chatting and our listeners yeah. will have to bear with us as we, you know, do a little six degrees of separation here. Right. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, destroyer out, out in the Pacific, the, their paths were very similar. I, I would not be surprised if they weren't be bopping around the Philippines and heading out uh, to that side of, of everything, uh, in and around the same time. It's incredible, man. Yeah. That, that's small world. small world. Yeah, yep. for sure. Yep. And he was out of New Jersey and yours was out of Connecticut. So, yeah. 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 So, so, so if- family instills that right. Mom and dad, when time comes where both brothers are going down range, what, what's that send off ceremony like? You know, so we actually had a huge party. My parents threw for us, uh, a couple of months before we actually were going to be deployed, we knew we were, we were getting deployed. Uh, it was just, we we're kind of waiting for that time to come. Mm-hmm. And so it, it was towards the end of the summer, a lot of our, our family and, and friends, either they were in school or they were teachers or things like that. So they wanted to do something kind of end of the summer, like a send off kind of thing where, where it was just a big blowout party. And there were so many people at my parents' house. Uh, luckily they had a decent sized yard mm-hmm. that we can have people outside and the weather uh, held out for us. But um, you know, it, it was, just incredible the amount of support that people showed to us uh, coming out their family friends neighbors uh, distant relatives yeah. pe- people that we haven't seen in years they came out just to uh, give us a, that support and send us off uh, you know with with warm hearts uh, you know go, going out there so um, but but when we when we actually left um, 
it was, uh, so I left first. Um, I, I left Connecticut first. Um, and then Stephen followed a, a couple weeks later. Uh, and uh, that was just to get us to training. And mm-hmm. so we, we spent a couple months training uh, before we, we deployed. And after leaving home for that last time, and when we went off to training, um, that was it. Uh, the, we were we were out there, and there was no big send off. I, I remember when uh, we we left out of uh, Louisiana to to fly mm-hmm. out of, of the country. Um, we were sitting in this hangar at an airport, uh, just waiting for the plane to to arrive for us to to walk out to. Um, and but there was no one but us there. Uh, there, there was no supporters. There was no family. There was no, nothing there uh, for us, and um, it, it was it was actually kind of bizarre to me yeah. because yeah. as we were getting on that plane, um, it was the first time in my life that I've ever gotten onto an airplane not knowing exactly where it was going to land. Um, it, it was kind of kind of bizarre because um, yeah. they they didn't. Yeah, most they don't times really... you're like we're headed to fill in the blank of whatever yeah. city that you're going to. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But this, this was one of those things where they didn't tell us exactly where we were headed, mm-hmm. uh, mostly for security purposes. Like they, they don't need everybody to know exactly, you, you know, eventually you're going to get, get to Afghanistan. That's all you really need to know. And so uh, it turns out our next stop was in Germany, but I didn't have a clue until we touched down when we got there. Yeah. I'm going to ask you to relive the moments of August 22nd. Uh, before we do that, um, we don't take for granted what it means for you uh, to do that, to remember that day, to talk about that day. And we're grateful for it. Uh, And we really are. We say that with sincerity and everybody that's listening feels the same way, but take me into that day in what's a fateful day, uh, probably the worst day of your life. uh, And, and when tragedy strikes and again, not, but a couple miles away. So tell us what happened on on August 22nd. Yeah. So that day I was actually out on uh, missions and I, for a couple of weeks before that day. And uh, the last time I called home, I, I said to my wife, to my parents, uh, I'm, I'm going to be out of touch for a while, for a few weeks. I don't know exactly how long, uh, but I, I'm not going to be calling home. Don't get worried. Don't get panicked or anything like that. I'm just, I'm just not going to be here uh, to, to be able to call. And so, uh, so they weren't expecting anything from me. Um, we were out on a mission. We actually flew out the night before on, on uh, Chinook helicopters to this remote village, uh, landed on top of a mountain outside the, this village where we were told that there was some Taliban activity. There were, there were some Taliban uh, who had stole, stolen Afghan army uniforms uh, and some weapons and things like that. And, and we had to go into this village uh, with the Afghan army to go tried to find all of the stuff and and clear it. So uh, we had been training with the Afghan army, kind of teaching them uh, some of our tactics and and ways that we do things. And I like to equate it to like a driver's ed instructor where uh, they're in the car with you and they have that little brake pedal on the other side uh, to kind of pump the brakes if, if, things get a little out of control. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what we were doing. So sure. we, we trained them. Uh, they were taking the lead. They were behind the wheel, if you will. And, and we were there in case things got out of, out of hand. So, um, so the, the whole day was fairly uneventful. We did find some stuff, uh, some uniforms and some weapons and things like that, which we destroyed. Um, and later on in the day, as we we're making our way towards the end of the village, I got a call on the radio saying that the, uh, commanding officer uh, or captain who 
what was looking specifically for me. Uh, it wasn't like he was trying to relay a message through the chain of command like they mm -hmm. usually would do. Um, it he was looking directly for me, and and that set off a red flag because usually I was a sergeant. Usually that kind of stuff goes through the chain of command. Um, but that wasn't the case. So I immediately thought, okay, either something really great happened or something really bad happened. And I wasn't getting any medals for anything that I had done that day. So it wasn't anything really great. Mm. Um, and so I started racking my brain trying to think what could have gone wrong. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm checking all my guys' equipment, make sure they had, didn't lose anything. Or, uh, you know, then I, I started thinking maybe we got a Red Cross message. Maybe one of my elderly relatives at home, back home passed away or something happened to my wife or my son or, or mm -hmm. whatever. Um, and I, I'm just, I'm going nuts. I'm, I'm making myself crazy thinking about all these different possibilities. So uh, I took off at a little faster pace. I had my, my team leaders make sure that they were... Uh, getting getting everyone else back out of the, the village mm -hmm. to where we were going to link yeah, up but you're not back at base right like you're you're no technically on a mission yeah we're out on a mission at this yeah. point right and so i i make my way back up this mountain um out of this village that we're back on top of this mountain and i linked up with the uh the captain and he told me to come over to the, to the side, uh, kind of away from everyone else. There's some like trees and rocks and stuff that kind of blocked us off. And he told me to take a knee and, uh, take my helmet off. And when I, they told me to take my help, he told me to take my helmet off. I was like that. they never tell you to do that. Like you never take your helmet off outside the wire. That's another big red flag. So what the heck is going on here? Um, and so I did what he, he told me to do. Uh, it wasn't it wasn't the most comfortable thing. So I was like, okay, what, what if something starts happening now? I'm, I don't mm -hmm. have a helmet on, you know? Um, but he told me that my brother's unit had been ambushed and that he had gotten hit. And so up until that point, I had never allowed myself to uh, think or believe that anything seriously bad could happen to my brother while we were in Afghanistan, which is stupid because we're in a combat zone. We were infantrymen. Of course, something mm -hmm. bad could happen. Right. But I think it was just my own defense mechanism to protect myself yeah. and not allow myself to, to think something bad would happen. Cause if I did, I wouldn't do my job. I'd be focused on him and trying to keep him safe. Um, and so when he told me that my brother had been hit, uh, I started thinking to myself, okay, well, how do I get to him? How, how do I get there? E even if nothing else for moral support, just to be there with him, to have a friendly face around or, or whatever, you know? Um, and so I, I started asking, I was like, okay, can I, can I get a helicopter out here to, to bring me out to wherever he is? And he, the captain looked at me kind of strange and, and he's like, well, I don't think you understand what I'm telling you. He's been killed. And as soon as he said that, it was like a punch in the gut. Like all the air just got sucked right out of me. And I, like, I couldn't believe what I had just heard. Um, like I said, I didn't envision a, a moment like this. I didn't think that there would be anything preventing the two of us from coming back home uh, safe and, you know, with all of our limbs and still alive and everything, you know, I, I just never crossed my mind and I, I couldn't believe it. So like anyone else, I, you know, I broke down, I was crying. It was, it was just a complete wreck of a situation for me. Um, uh, he called over a couple other guys to come sit with me, make sure I was going to be okay. Uh, that I wasn't going to hurt myself or, or mm -hmm. anyone else, you know, but naturally that's 
just where your mind starts to go uh, into some dark places during yeah. times like this. So, and of course I'm sitting there with a fully loaded rifle and shotgun. And uh, like I easily, if I wanted to hurt myself or somebody else, I easily could have done that. Um, so yeah, I had a couple guys sitting with me. They were just making sure I was okay. Uh, and about maybe 20 minutes after finding out that my brother was killed, our, our own unit started taking fire from the village that we had just come out of. And so that grief that I felt, that sadness turned to straight anger. And mm. I literally wanted to kill every single person in that village. Sure. I, I wanted just nothing more than to just go full on Rambo style and just start, you know, mowing them down, quite frankly, mowing them down, yeah. just taking them all out. Um, but then, so I had this fleeting thought of me running back down this mountain, guns ablaze and shooting everybody that I, that was moving. It didn't matter if they were shooting back or not. I want literally wanted to kill everybody. Yeah. Uh, but then I realized if I did something stupid like that, that I wasn't going to make it out alive. There's, there's no way I, I would, um, that, that would make my parents lose a second son that day. Um, that would make my wife a widow and my son growing up, growing up without a father that just wouldn't sit right with me. And then I also knew that you never leave a fallen soldier. So that would mean that some of my guys would have to come down and retrieve me and put them in harm's way. And that wasn't acceptable for me. I wasn't going to allow that to, to happen. So I said, okay, I need to put this grief and this anger aside, put all my personal crap aside for now and focus on my job. I had a squad to lead and that's my job. I, that's the only way that I'm going to be able to uh, make it out of here is if I do my job the right way. Um, and so I did, I, I went over, uh, made sure my squad was positioned where they needed to be, had all the ammunition, everything that they needed to successfully defend ourselves. And, um, after that firefight, uh, it wasn't very long lived. We, we called in some air support and kind of took out what we needed to take out. So that village probably today looks a whole lot different than it did back mm -hmm. then. <laughs> um, after that, uh, the captain who I talked to earlier had told me that they were going to, uh, get me out of there. They're going to get a helicopter sure. in and, and take sure. me out. Understandable. Um, right. Which totally understandable. Cause I, I, while I was able to keep it together for that short lived firefight, yeah. um, I did that out of pure necessity. Um, but I was a wreck. I, I was in no position to be, uh, in a combat zone, never, Never mind having uh, loaded firearms on me either. You know, like that, I probably needed to give all, turn all that stuff over. So, helicopter comes, takes me out of there, and brings me to uh, the Bagram Air Base, the main air base in Afghanistan. And that's where I met with the brigade leadership. And I asked them if they would be able to let me escort my brother all the way home. Mm. Uh, you know, again, again, going back to that, uh, never leave a fallen soldier. And, uh, they told me no, uh, that I couldn't escort him all the way home. Um, because they, they said I'd be better off to my family back home, but the people who are still alive, uh, if they got me home sooner than later, um, then, then I would be to my brother. And, and it just, it rubbed me the wrong way. I, I felt like yeah, I it's rubbing me the wrong way, kind of listening to you tell that story. Yeah. I felt like I, I wasn't there for him when he needed me. And I, I was like, this this is like just one little thing I could do for him yeah. and, and just be there for him. Um, but they, they didn't allow me to, and looking back on it now, I, I understand and it probably sure. was for the better. Sure. Um, but, but it, 
it, in that moment, it just, it wasn't the best, yeah. uh, yeah. best. Oh, I totally understand. Me, but... I mean, I don't understand your feeling from that day, but I right. could understand why you would want to, as his big brother, I'm the guy bring I'm the guy to bring him home. Yeah, exactly. Right? I, I get that. But I also, from their standpoint, it's like, let's get this guy home as fast as possible to yeah. his family so they can see him. They can love him, you, and then you can await his return at that. Exactly. Um, yeah. You, you, Scott, you have to have lived an incredibly unique experience. I mean, I can't imagine there are a lot of other guys who have been downrange, who have lost a sibling but miles away to have been told on the freaking battlefield. Right. Right. They couldn't even yeah. get you back to the fob or something to tell you. No. And, and that, that was a, the thing. So that's why just... I can understand your Rambo thing. Like, of course you wanted to just go berserk. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, it, through my, my research uh, that I, I had done after years and years uh, uh, after, after this event took place, uh, I think I'm the only, uh, my brother and I are the only siblings who were in Afghanistan at the same time when one of the, one of the two siblings were mm -hmm. killed in action. Um, I found there was another set of siblings in a similar situation in Iraq. Um, but as far as Afghanistan goes, I think we were the only ones. Uh, I, I pray that we were the only ones because yeah. that, that's yeah. such a terrible thing for anyone to go through, um, especially in a combat zone like that on, on the battlefield. Uh, I, I don't wish that on anybody, but um, you know, if, if I'm, if I'm wrong, if anyone out there who's listening knows yeah. of, of anybody else, please feel free to correct me. But I, from what I was able to tell, I think I believe we're the only, only ones uh, from Af the Afghan war anyways. Yeah. La last part of, of this part of your story. We, I asked you about uh, the send off, the homecoming, uh, the worst imaginable right? Yeah. To have to come home to your family. Uh, and at what point uh, is your brother home? So, so wrap that, can you wrap that part of us up for it? you coming home and, and then you yeah. guys waiting to bring him home? Yeah. So I actually started my journey home the, the next day after he was killed. Um, I, I did actually get the opportunity to escort my brother out of Afghanistan to Kuwait where that, that first leg yeah. of the, the trip, I was on the same flight as, as he was. Uh, there was a whole ramp ceremony beforehand where they, it's kind of uh, where they bring the, the fallen soldiers bodies. I mean, did on. you sit was, with, did you sit with him the entire flight on that flight? I, I, they actually let me get on the flight first. Usually it's just first come first serve. You get whatever seat you get, but the, everyone waited. They let me get on the flight first and I, I could have my pick of seats. So I took the closest seat next to him. Um, you know, there was, it was a transfer case on a cargo ship or a cargo plane that was, mm -hmm. uh, uh, strapped to the ground. So there, there was only so, so close I can get to sure. him, but I, I took the closest possible seat. Um, and, uh, after Kuwait left him there and I, I continued my journey home, um, when we landed in Atlanta, there, anyone, anyone who ever flew through the Atlanta airport, especially during the last 20 years, during the, these, uh, these wars that were going on, uh, they knew there's all sorts of military supporters tons, there, tons. tons of them. Yeah. You, you, you can't go into the airport with, or back then you couldn't go into the airport without seeing them. Yep. Um, and, 
I was coming through this area where there was all these military supporters. And the last thing I wanted to do was have any sort of pomp and circumstance or fanfare or anything like that. I, just, I wanted to be invisible. Yeah. Uh, I, I just wanted to blend into the crowd. Of course, I'm wearing uniform, so it can't blend into the crowd. Um, I, I camouflage. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, but you're like, dude, I just, I got to get through this terminal as fast as possible. Like, please don't exactly. talk to me. I really don't want to talk to anyone. Yeah. I appreciate yeah, it, but I just, yeah. Just not now. Like now is not a good time for me. And so I, I just kept my head down. I, I pretended like I was trying to figure out my ticket and like where the gate was and stuff like that. And so I was just kept, kept my head down. I just kept walking and uh, no one, no one approached me. No one came up to me or anything like that. So I was, uh, I was glad about that. Um, when we got home, when I got home to Connecticut, um, my parents, my wife, my son, and uh, my aunt and uncle met me at the airport, uh, and they were there with a state police officer. And he was there because he said that there were a, a bunch of news crews down at the baggage claim waiting to get an interview with me. And I was like, I'm in no mood right now to talk if to anybody that's not about that. I'm like, right. just not going to happen. Right. And so he said, okay, no, no problem. We'll, we'll get your bags, uh, for you, you know, from the, it was easy to figure out as a ACU mm -hmm. pattern camouflage bag. So, yep. and it had my name on it with so your name on it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So real easy to figure out which one's mine. Uh, and he said, you know, come out this, this other way out of the airport and you'll avoid all of the news crews. You won't have to worry about it. Um, and so that was, that was awesome that, that he did that for us. Um, and so we were driving home. We got, got to my parents' house. That's where our first stop was. Uh, all our family was there. And so I, I wanted to see everyone who, who was at my parents' house. Uh, we pulled down their street and the street was lined up and down the street with news vans, uh, local radio, television, newspapers, all were there with reporters waiting to get an inter interview with us uh, about what had taken place. And my blood was boiling. I was like, these, these people are like vultures trying to pick apart any little piece of the story that they can for their own benefits, uh, get these people out of my face. Um, but when we pulled into my parents' driveway, there was a public affairs officer from the military. And he said, you have perfect right to not talk to anybody about this. If you don't want to, you don't have to. Mm -hmm. uh, but he said, I just want to let you know that they're going to run a story one way or the other, uh, whether you talk to them or not, they may go and talk to random people in the grocery store parking lot and just ask them, Oh, what do you feel about what had taken place with, with this yeah. fallen soldier? And, yeah. and they're going to, uh, of course they'll say, Oh, it's sad. And you know, whatever, but it'll be a 32nd story. And then that'll be it. And he said, if you want people to actually know who my brother was uh, and have a little deeper story about him, then you probably should go talk to them. And I realized at that point, it wasn't about me and how I felt. It was about him. You know, he's no longer here. He doesn't have a voice anymore. And if we want his story and his life to uh, continue on in, in the hearts and minds of other people, then we got to step up and, and do something about that. We can't just hope and pray that the, the reporters get to talk to the right people because quite frankly, we were the right people. And if we sent them away, those reporters weren't going to be fighting to go find anybody else at that point. So, um, so basically we, we went down and we did interviews for a lot of the rest of that day. Um, the, over the course of the next week and next few months and stuff, we, we had 
a steady stream of interviews coming in. Um, it, it, even as recently as, oh, I mean, obviously today we're, we're talking mm-hmm. now, um, but, but even, uh, you know, local like new, news uh, stations and, and things like that, we, we've done those in the last year too. So, um, you know, we continue to talk to people about him and mm-hmm. his sacrifice uh, because we don't want that story to just fade away and die. So, yep. um, so the homecoming was uh, not really the, uh, the homecoming that you, you might expect with uh, a lot of a fanfare and the pomp and circumstance and all that kind of stuff that goes on when, when people come home from, from combat yeah. uh, it was, really a lot of work. It was a lot of uh, interviews and, and things like that. Uh, he came home, his body got home a few days after mine, uh, after I got home, after my flight home. And um, when we met him at the airport, it was a hot summer day in August in, in Connecticut. And uh, we were standing out on the the pavement outside this, this hangar, the Connecticut Army National Guard hangar in uh, at Bradley airport in, uh, in Connecticut. And when the plane came up to us, the honor guard took his body off the plane and my mom was standing there and she started to faint. Um, you know, I don't know if it was the, the heat, the, or the emotion of seeing her son coming off the plane that way or, or whatever it was maybe a combination of the two. I don't know. But, um, so my cousin and I were standing there and we, we grabbed her kept her from falling on the ground. Someone else grabbed a chair and gave that to her to sit down on. Um, then after leaving the airport, uh, the state police, uh, gave us a, an escort back to our, our hometown and they shut down the entire highway, which if you've ever driven down, uh, this particular stretch of highway in Connecticut, it's always jam packed. Mm-hmm bumper to bumper, crazy, crazy traffic. Right. Um, and there was not a single car on the highway other than our caravan. Right. Um, firefighters had, uh, the trucks on all, all the overpasses with, uh, big American flags or saluting the whole, whole thing, which was nice. Uh, we did a, um, a tour around the the town, our our hometown of of places that were important to my brother. Uh, just, just kind of, like a tribute kind of thing uh, for him. So, um, but we had police escort the whole way and it was, it was kind of special uh, for, for that. So, so I was happy to, to see uh, that so much support was given to us and in our family throughout that whole uh, experience. When you had those interviews, when you told those stories, what'd you tell them about Steven? Tell us a little bit about him. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we, we talked, they wanted to know who he was, you know, what, what kind of, of a person he was. And, uh, he was a super big, uh, sports fan. Um, it didn't matter what the sport was. If there was a, a competition of some sort, it could have been ping pong bef- between friends. He was into it. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, but he was, he was also funny. He was a goofball. He, he would sense that someone was having a bad day. Uh, and he would do something just off the wall, crazy just to get a laugh and just to, or, or even just to get under their skin. And you knew he was doing it because it was coming from a, a good place in his heart. It, it was, he was trying to get you to just loosen up and lighten up. Um, and, and in my book, uh, that, that I wrote surviving mm-hmm. son, um, I, I tell about some stories about, uh, him and I, when, when we were just hanging out, doing, doing funny things and the type of, uh, you know, kind of antics that he would get into, um, you know, the, uh, 
their hockey games that we would go to and, mm-hmm. and, and he would he would get the whole he actually got an entire sports arena to be chanting uh uh we were at the boston bruins and they were playing the montreal canadians yeah uh and after the game the bruins had won and we were a few beers deep at that point sure and sure and he he gets the entire crowd of people who is exiting the arena to start chanting usa 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 and he like he just got a uh-huh. whole place going and uh but that's the kind of person he was he was just so energetic and lively like you knew when he entered the room it, it, he was he was there and and he was there for um for for bringing people up and, yeah. and helping, helping people out. So you're going to make a guy who lives in North Carolina. You're going to make me want to pull for the Bruins tonight in game <laughs> six. <laughs> Cause we're recording this on the day that Bruins and Hurricanes are playing in the NHL playoffs. That's funny. Yeah, that's right. I, for, I forgot about that's that. Right. Yeah. That's right. Well, I can put a little picture in my head, man, of what he would have been like. And in, in, in those yeah. moments in writing that book, surviving son, how much of it was for Steven and how much of it was for Scott? You know, Part of it, it was probably equal, uh, probably 50, 50. I, I wanted to be able to have something tangible that would outlive me that I could hand to my kids, to my grandkids, to uh, other people who knew me, uh, and, and say, this is what I did. This is my life. This is how I, I saw things. Um, but the other part of it was, like I said before, he's not here. He doesn't have a voice anymore he can't tell his story. And I wanted people to know the type of person that he was, um, the type of person that the world lost that day. Mm-hmm. Um, and to recognize that it's not just another name on the news, another face that flashes for 30 seconds during that, that short little segment that they have on the news mm-hmm. announcing, uh, you know, this death, um, it was a person who had a life. He had a future ahead of him. He was engaged. He was going to get married after he got, got home from Afghanistan. Um, you know, he uh, was a friend, a, 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 you know, a, a great overall great guy. And so I wanted people to take away a little bit of who he was so that when they read the book, they might actually feel like they're losing someone close to them too. Yeah. Um, you know, not, not that I want to, purposely make people sad uh, necessarily because that, that's not the type of person he was. He wouldn't want anyone to be sad uh, for anything, but uh, partially it's, it's also so that when we as a country go and rush off into these various wars and I'm not anti-war by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, when we go in and rush off into these wars, I want people to stop and think, is this what is actually necessary? Um, is the loss of life that is going to be inevitable uh, in this, whatever this conflict is, is it worth whatever this end, end goal is? And if it's not, then maybe we should think about other ways of, of accomplishing this goal. Um, but if it is, then, then just know that we are probably going to lose more people like my brother. Um, and while that is a, a terrible thing, um, it, it should make us appreciate whatever that end result is. Uh, just yeah. that much more. Yeah. Well said, my friend. Um, through that process, the therapeutic process of writing, uh, of continuing to tell the story, and even what you're doing now through Drive On, um, who's helped you through the process? Who's picked up your six along the way? Because you got to carry a lot of it with you, Scott. I mean, it's just yeah. Right? 
there there have been a lot of people there's by there's no way that i would be able to do any of this stuff all on my own mm-hmm. um my parents have been behind me uh, the whole way um they they were supporting me with the podcast before it was even really more than just a couple episodes they yep. they were they were helping me out with that um my wife has been a huge supporter of mine um, for uh, quite a while. She's, she was helping me out with the, the podcast as well. Um, she was the first person to read the book after that mm-hmm. first draft that, that I, I finished. Um, my, my parents helped with reading the book and, and helping me revise some, some things and uh, offering some, uh, some advice and some, some feedback and, and mm-hmm. things like that. So that was, that was all really great. Um, I, I talk about this in the book. I have experienced PTSD and uh, you know the the loss of my my brother, the grief and, and all that kind of stuff. I I suffered through a lot of that, um, and the people at the VA that I spoke to, they were uh, big help. And and I, to be perfectly transparent, I still talk mm-hmm. to to people at the VA sure. uh, for for help with this stuff. Um, but without their support and their help. Uh, to set me on the right path, uh, I may have just fallen off the rails altogether. And um, uh, I don't know that I would have been able to do what I'm doing now without all of their support. And so, you know, I I truly believe that, uh, you know, if you want to accomplish anything significant, um, you need to rely on, yeah, the people who are around you, uh, yep. you know, whether you're an athlete, you need the coaches that are going to help you. If you're, uh, um, you know, uh, an entrepreneur, you need the, the support of, of your employees and, and the people in, in your business, uh, whatever it is that you are going to do, you need to have other people and, and lean on them for their expertise and their, their support. Uh, because without that, um, you know, you're, you're just one person and you can only do so much. That's right. Uh, on, on your own. Yep. So, um, so yeah, definitely. I had a lot of people, uh, watching my six, making sure that I, I was, uh, able to be the best version of myself and, and produce, uh, the best kind of product that I could as yeah. far as the book and the podcast. Is yeah. So, yeah. So part of that is that podcast drive on podcast over yeah. 200 episodes, uh, to date, uh, that you've recorded, uh, and distributed. So tell folks where can they listen to it? Uh, and what kind of conversations are they going to hear? Yeah. So the, the podcast, you can check out wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, you can go to driveonpodcast.com and you can find the subscribe links as well on there. Uh, or you can just listen to it directly on the website if you want. Um, the type of content that we have tends to be uh, broken out into two categories. One is we talk to uh, military veterans with inspiring stories, people who have gone through things like kind of like what we talked about today and in other stories where they have overcome some sort of adversity, whether it was PTSD or homelessness or addiction, uh, depression, all all these things that they, they might have uh, gone through. We talk about what they experienced and then how they were able to overcome those, those issues. Um, And the reason why we talk about the, those things is to give hope to the listeners who might be experiencing something similar and might just be sitting there suffering in silence and saying, yeah. uh, you know, all hope is lost for me. And I, you know, I, I have nothing left for me. Um, you know, I, I tried everything that I could, but maybe they, they haven't. Um, 
actually chances are you they haven't um mm-hmm. there are so many different things out there that that people have have tried and and successfully used to overcome the various issues that they've been going through trust me if you think you've tried everything you haven't um the other type of uh, episode that we have are are episodes where we talk to uh, providers of services to veterans so it could be anything from uh career transition services, education services, substance abuse services, or, uh, you know, alternative forms of therapy, art therapy, or things like that, uh, where we talk about these other options. So that way, when you go to the VA and you're, you're frustrated because they're not helping the way you think that they should be. Um, and I'm not knocking the VA at all. They've been incredible help to me. Um, but some people have had negative experiences and, and if they think that the VA is the, the be-all, end-all solution, uh, they're wrong. There, there are so many other options out there uh, for veterans to get the help that they need. And so we try to highlight some of those lesser-known options so that way people will uh, have an option available mm-hmm. to them when, when they, the time comes and they need that. I got to get Evan Owens to you from Reboot Recovery to have on your show. Yeah. Be a great That'd show. Be great. Uh, I got to get Jason from Pre-Veteran who's doing work for transitioning veteran members, right? To shift sort of in their professional career. So we'll send a couple of folks your way that yeah, they're great. providing those services to do that. I also know a retired Lieutenant general who's got a couple of stories that you might want to have on as well. Excellent. Yeah, so absolutely. We can, <laughs> give you a wink. We'll see what we can do on that one Yeah, as well. Scott, man, it's just been great to talk to you. Uh, I kind of go back to our point before. We, we don't take it for granted, right? We don't take it for granted what it means to to go back into that moment and share that story. But we do know how incredibly important it is for us to remember. Remember the the real treasure that we're willing to put on the line. Wars cost us a lot of money, but a lot of good Americans too are are willing to step into the fray, knowing what could happen to them, um, yeah. because we believe so much about this cause. We're so grateful for your brother. And we're so grateful for your entire family and the chance to get to talk to you. So uh, go check them out, guys. It's the Drive On Podcast, right? No matter what you got going on in your life, you can always drive on. Exactly. Right? And go pick up that book, Surviving Son, as well. I know he's going to show me a copy of it right now. There it is. There it Where is. can they get the book? Uh, yeah, the book is available on Amazon. Uh, it's available in uh, Kindle ebook uh, format, paperback, hardcover, and uh, just released. Uh, couple days uh, about a week ago um in audiobook format oh, nice. so yeah so you can hear the, hear my my voice reading the, the story to you instead of just imagining it as you're reading the books so. <laughs> i love it well, you get a little sneak preview today by listening to you on this show right that's good he's scott deluzio the book is surviving son the podcast is drive on and his hero is his brother steven deluzio scott thanks so much Thank you, Brian. You got it. I'm Brian Jodas. That's been this episode of Pick Up the Six Podcast.